limitations and God's faithfulness in his life. And I'm not going to really go through and review the other points. If you haven't been here, I did put the, just, I did leave the, the blanks for the points that we covered, and you can go back and uh, look at those. And if you have any questions, I'd be glad to walk through any questions you might have on the other points on those. But just for the time's sake and just so we get done today, I'm not going to do a, a big review of where we've been. We'll just kind of pick up where we left off. And I think most of you have been here for at least most of these lessons. So uh, we're just going to pick up from there. So uh, let's go ahead and we'll open in prayer and then we'll dig right in starting in verse 38 this morning. So uh, Jonathan, will you open us in prayer? So 2 Samuel 22, verse 38 is where we're starting. Who would like to begin reading this morning? Miriam, go ahead. Okay, so God is the giver of victory, I have for point 11 here. Victory. So in this section, David starts out, and he starts out by saying what he has done. He talks about his own victories. So he talks about that he's pursued his enemies and destroyed them. And... Um, you can see that uh, as we talked about his victories in battle and stuff, that's true. He has pursued enemies. He's destroyed them. Uh, he's not turned back until they were destroyed. So there's kind of this relentless pursuit that David utterly conquered different people. Um, they were destroyed and wounded so they could not rise. David utterly defeated certain enemies that they couldn't rise against him again. They fell under David's feet, and David utterly destroyed and scattered them. So as he's talking about his victories... <laughs> This kind of seems to go away from what he's been speaking about in the Psalms, because so far he's been giving a lot of credit to God, and all of a sudden he starts talking about his victories, and how he's done it, and how he's utterly destroyed them, and how he's beat them down, and how they haven't been able to rise against him, and how he's had these great victories, and you're starting to think, well, maybe David's starting to get full of himself again, maybe David's thinking that he's done this all, and you're thinking, David, this whole time you've been talking about how God's been good to you, and how God's given you victory, and how God's heard your cry, and God has giving you the strength to do this. And now you're talking about your victories. What's going on here, David? And so for just a split second, it may sound like, well, David's starting to praise himself a little bit. But then David very quickly turns to the reason why he's had these victories in the second part of this section. Um, so David recounts how quickly, how completely he's had victories over his enemies, but then he tells you why he's had this, this victory. And he starts talking about God's enabling him to be able to have these victories. So he... he he has an honest look at it that his victories were thorough. His victories were complete. His victories were overwhelmingly over the enemies. He's saying, yes, I've had these victories. 
And as you look at it from a human standpoint, people can look at David and say, he's, he's been this, this great champion for Israel, and he's had this military success, and there, there's been not a king like David in Israel that's been so thoroughly good over his enemies. And David said, yeah, that's true. And I've had these, these victories, and, and you can look at me and say, this guy looks like a great military captain, but let me tell you why now. And, and, and so he's, he's admitting that from a human optic, yeah, I look like this great warrior king guy. And you can look at me and say, look at David's great victories, but now I'm going to tell you why. And it's because of God's enabling. And he says, verse 40, for you have armed me with strength for the battle. He's talking back to God here. So God has armed David with strength. And David's saying, I've had these victories because God has given me the strength to do it. It's not because I, David, have done anything special or I'm super strong or I'm just some kind of great warrior guy. It's because God has given me the strength to do it. And then that's because I have strength. I have been able to destroy those who hated me. And then he also says that God subdued his enemies. And that God was the one uh, who has destroyed those who hated him. God is the one who has subdued them. And God has delivered David's enemies to him. I think verse 42 is interesting here also, that they look, but there's none to save. You know, David had God on his side. They didn't seek out God. They didn't look to God. And when they started looking around to find somebody to save them, there was nobody left there to save him. David had God on his side, but they were serving idols. They were serving false gods. And when they were looking to seek out someone to save them, there was nobody left to save them. And so, well, David had God on his side, and when David was being pursued by enemies, he could turn to God and God would rescue him. The enemies that he faced did not seek God. They didn't know God. And when they were in distress, who could they cry out to? There was nobody there. And then when they said, well, well, we'll turn to David's God because we're in distress now, God wouldn't hear them because they didn't spend their time seeking out God when they had the chance. And they ignored, God ignored the pleas of David's enemies because they weren't pursuing God like David did. Remember when David talked about that, why did God rescue him? Why did God save him? Is because David was living an uh, upright life, because David was li- living righteously, because he was seeking God, because he was trying to serve God to the best of his ability, because he was trying to do what was right in God's eyes. And then when David did have distress, he could turn to God and God heard his pleas. His enemies weren't doing that. And when they tried to, when they were in distress and they finally said, well, let's turn to David's God and give that a try, it's, it, was, it was too late at that point. God would ignore their calls. And they had no one to turn to. And David said, that's the difference. I had God on my side because I was seeking him. I was pursuing him. I was trying to live for God. And my enemies didn't have that. They didn't have anyone to turn to. And God ignored their calls. And so God's enabling allowed David to have these great victories. And sure, you can look at it, and and if you didn't know anything about David's God, you might say, well, David, wow, that guy, he's a military genius. He can do it. He's so strong. He had his strong armies. Wow, David's so great. David said, no, it may look that way. You see me, I beat my enemies, I chased them down, I defeated them, I utterly destroyed them, they couldn't pursue me. But the reason why is because I had God on my side. And I'm giving the glory to God. I'm I'm just telling you that God is the one who did this for me. He gave me strength. He's the one who subdued my enemies. He's the one who utterly destroyed them. He's the one that, when they cried out, he didn't hear them. He gave me the victory. It's all because of God. It's not because of David. It's not because I have something special in myself. So looking at that paragraph down there, David understands that while many look at David's greatness and attribute his victories to his military powers, 
God had given David his victories, and without God, he would not have triumphed over his enemies. You know, I don't know how many of you are ever going to face any military situation where you need God to give you military victory. Some of you might end up in military someday, some of you younger people, but most of us won't. But we face trials, temptations, we just face snares every day. God can give us victory over those things. And we can't do that within and of ourselves. We can't face those things within and of ourselves. We need to depend on God's strength and we need to depend on God's enabling to have victory over the things that are seeking to destroy us, that are seeking to hurt us. And we need to trust in God. And so God's the one that can give us victory. And we need to trust in that. It's not by our own strength. It's not by our own might. It's by God empowering us. So um, the same God that gave David strength over his enemies can give us strength over the things of the world that seek to destroy us, that seek to hurt us, that seek to lead us away from the things of God. And we can trust God in that. So once again, as we've been doing this all along, I'm going to open this up for questions, comments, or anything you might want to add here. Any thoughts that you have? at this point. Okay. Let's move on. Uh, next section, Second Samuel 22, 44-46. Jana, go ahead. So I titled this one, God Gave David Political Success. So the first thing he says is here, you have delivered me from the strivings of my people. Sometimes the, the, the greatest enemy you have is the enemy you know. And David had to deal with his own people sometimes just as much as he had to deal with the Philistines or some of the other nations that bothered him. Uh, and God delivered David from the political intrigue, the strivings from his own people. And these people who are sometimes just as much an enemy to David as the foreign people were to him, people of his own court, his own generals sometimes. Joab was a constant trouble to David, uh, constantly doing things. His generals oftentimes wanted to deal with situations and ways that David was unwilling to deal with situations, and he had to deal with that. Uh, his own people rebelled against him many times, and he had to deal with this. And David had to trust in God in these situations and go back to him. And so he had that as a problem that he had to deal with. Um, God preserved David's throne many times. In fact, uh, you know, the house of Saul number of times sought to retake the throne, and David had to deal with that. His own son stole the throne for a while, and David had to trust God with that. Um, many foreign nations, foreigners submit to me. David had to deal with foreign wars and foreign powers seeking to dethrone him and destroy Israel, and so he had to deal with that. And God delivered nations for David to rule. And he said, the foreigners submit to, the, to me. As soon as they hear, they obey me. Again, he's attributing this as much to God as to anything he has done. Uh, and then he says, the foreigners 
fade away and come frightened to their hideout. So even God has given David some amount of fame that as you know, David starts pursuing foreigners that they are afraid of him and his army. And because of what God has done and the fame that God has given David in his rule, that sometimes he doesn't even have to fight some of these nations, that they're just scared of him and they fade away and they hide out from David because they don't want to face David. Uh, and that even helped it. Remember in the time when he was fighting the Absalom, what happened that uh, his uh, spy within that, that Absalom's court there said, used the fear of David to change the king's strategy to make it a bad strategy. So, so David's reputation that God had given him has helped David on many times, and God has done this and given David political success and helped him to preserve his throne that way. Um, and as we look at this, you know, is God in control of kings and kingdoms? And we say, yes, that God definitely is. We know that that's true. God appoints authorities. God allows kings to be in place. And we see that throughout history, and we see that in the New Testament over and over, that God is, God is over all authorities, and God allows authorities that exist to exist. Um, and even at times, you know, Paul wrote at times when, when uh, emperors like Nero were in existence and, and some of the, the writers of the Bible wrote, you know, to obey the authorities when people like Nero were in existence because he said that God had appointed those authorities and were still to obey those authorities because God allowed them to be. And even in our United States, do I believe that God allowed our president to be president, even though we may disagree with his policies and we may disagree with the direction he's taking the country. And then, yes, God has done that. And he's in control of those things. And so um, David understands that he's there by God's choice and by God's working, that he is the king of this country and God has preserved his throne and allowed it to be. Uh, I want to go back to a passage. I just thought of this now, so just give me a second here. See if I can find it quick. I think it's in, let me see if. I don't remember where it was, but remember um, when David was fleeing from Absalom, and we talked about this, uh, that at one point uh, they were talking about that uh, David was in danger, and uh, David said, if, uh, if God allows me to return back to the throne, then that's good, but if God takes that away, then then that's God's judgment and that God, David was basically saying, I'm okay with that if that's just how God chooses to judge me. And David understood that God's in control of the throne and what happens. And I think David understands that God is in control of that and whatever political success David has is from God, that God has appointed him that throne 
And even now, as David is back in a place where he is given political success and where God has placed him back on the throne and he's back in control of Israel and things are stable again, that he's looking back and saying, God has given me this back. Even after all the hardship I went through and all the rebellion that I've had to deal with, uh, that everything that David has is from God here. And I wrote down here that David has surely seen kings and kingdoms rise and fall and understands that God has preserved his throne and his kingdom and has even given David a fierce reputation among the nations. And so he sees that that's from God. And I think that seeing that, he sees God's sovereignty in this situation. I, I think that's what we need to take from that, is that as we look around at our circumstances, we can't look at that and say, you know, if, if things are bad, that things are out of control and they're out of God's hands. Things are never out of God's hands. And that no matter what circumstances we're going through, what, what kind of things are going on around us, no matter how high gas prices get or how much food costs or you know, how tight our budget gets, God is in control of things. He knows what's going on. He has his hand on all the circumstances around us. And we can trust God. He's faithful. And he knows what he's doing. And we need to take assurance in that and just know that God is in control of all things. And as we trust God, uh, we should have peace with that. We should have, we should have peace and we should not that... We shouldn't plan. I, I, I'm not saying that we should just, just be lax at days and say, well, God's in control. I don't need to worry about it. If that means we have to work a little harder, take some overtime to make ends meet, that maybe that's what God wants us to do. But we should know that nothing is outside of God's hand. Nothing is outside of God's control. And that um, we don't worry about what, what tomorrow brings, but we do what we need to do and what is right and good to do right now and leave the results to God. So I hope that it makes kind of sense on that. Any thoughts or questions on this section? Nathan? The passage you're looking for was 2 Samuel 15, verses 25 and 26. Okay, good. Thank you. It's hard to try to teach and look at the same time, so I'm thankful for people that can ignore me while I'm teaching and be looking for... No, I'm just kidding, Nathan. 15, 25, and 26. You want to read that since you found that, Nathan? Yeah, that's what I was thinking of there. There, where he's just he trusts God with the situation, and he knows that even at that point he's under God's discipline for what he did, and that God has control that the throne of Israel. And if God's choosing to take that away from him, God's sovereign in that. But if God is desiring David to be back, back in charge of the throne then God's going to work that situation out. And so David's trusting God's sovereignty there. So that's, that's Pastor I was thinking of. Thank you, Nathan. So, so any other thoughts on that section there? Lynn. Yep. Pastor Dean brought that up this morning in the, the sermon. That's a good passage. And, and God... God is in control of that. And even, um, you know, you look at like the, the book of Daniel or like Nehemiah there where we were talking about this morning that you see these, these foreign kings and some of them, 
something you want. I wrote a, one of my papers I wrote in one of my classes in seminary was on the salvation of Nebuchadnezzar. I think Nebuchadnezzar might have eventually got saved along the way, and I have some reasons I think that, but if you want to talk about that later, we can talk about that. Uh, but some of these ungodly kings at times you know, seem to make some decisions that really benefited God's people, and you think, well, God can move the king's heart. Even like in Exodus, we're talking about the Pharaoh. God hardened Pharaoh's heart in order for God to display his glory and his power to the nations and to Israel. And God seemed to do what he wanted to do with Pharaoh's heart. And Pharaoh obviously wasn't saved, I think. I think you can tell that there's no acknowledgement of God in Pharaoh's heart. But God used that situation for his glory. So... Um, so God, God does have control over kings and kingdoms. And if he has control over kings and kingdoms, he can have control over your little circumstances in your life. So. But any other thoughts, comments? Okay, let's take another section here. Tony, uh, Gabriel, you want to read? I know you're doing thoughts or questions. You're trying to get your hand up quick. Volunteer degree, okay, 2047 through 49. I call this section God's faithfulness to David. He starts off with a declaration of praise to God. The first thing is that the Lord lives, a declaration of the acknowledgement of the living God. And this is this is good stuff here because of where he is, he's surrounded by nations that worship dead idols. And a declaration saying the Lord lives, it, it means something because you have the Philistines who worship all these dead idols and you have the Canaanites who worship Molech and Ashtoreth and all these dead These guys are all dead. They can't do anything. They don't hear. They don't see. They don't listen to prayers. They don't act. And David's saying the Lord, Yahweh, lives. He's alive. He's well. He's listening. He's seeing. He knows what's going on. You know, it's just an acknowledgement of the living God. So surrounded by nations worshiping dead isles, this is a profound statement. Not a profound. Profound statement of a God that lives and cares about his people. You know, so David is, is making this, this super strong statement here that, uh, and especially to, to Israel, who sometimes they've fallen into this idolatry and, and followed after the idols of these surrounding nations. Don't worship them. Worship the living God. Worship the God who lives, who can hear you, who knows you, who can do something. Who can All these things that God has done for me, he can be there for you and do these things also. He can work in your life. He can be a part of it. The Lord lives. And then, then he says, Blessed be my rock. Again, I think... Uh, a couple weeks back, somebody talked about that they love this, the personal statement of David. That's not just the rock, it's my rock. He, he's, he's taking a, a, a personal connection to God. That it's, that's my rock. I've seen this in my life. The God, my God, my rock, my fortress, my shield. You know, he has this personal connection to God. 
and he, he, he describes, describes blessings to the, the rock of his salvation. Um, and then he, he gives a desire for God to be lifted up. Like, let God be exalted or to be lifted up, to be, be raised up so that people can see him, so that people can know who he is. Exalted be God. And then as God, uh, the rock of my salvation, uh, the rock, the foundation of David's salvation, the, the one who saves is God. You know, where does my salvation come from? Where do I stand? Where is the, the steady place of my salvation? It's in God. No place else. I stand on God as my salvation. That's my foundation. That's my sure place of my salvation is in God. So he gives us great uh, just fanfare praise that he starts out with this section here. The living God, the one who I want to give blessing to is my rock, the one who I... I identify with the solid rock of God. I want to exalt him. I want to lift him up. He's the basis of my foundation, the strength of the, the bedrock of my foundation, of my salvation here, my rock, my blessing. And so it's just, just this great anthem of praise that he gives here. And then he gives us declaration of faithfulness. It's God who avenges David. So those who often wrong, those who wrong David often found justice. And David knows that he didn't orchestrate this. It's God who did this. God took care of David and, and, and avenged David. It's God who avenges me. It's God who subdues David's enemy. He subdues the people under me. Uh, God delivered David from his enemies. He, he worked in David's life and, and delivered him when he was in trouble. He delivered him when he didn't have the strength to deliver himself. He delivered David when he didn't have any other way out of a situation or when he was surrounded by his enemies or when there was no other hope it was God who was there. Um, it was God who exalted David over his enemies. When David was dragged down and it looked like there was no hope, God lifted David up and put him above his enemies. It was God who delivered David from those who would harm him, from those violent men. And God was the one who lifted him up and delivered him. So God was faithful to David, even in David's hard times, even in times when he was distressed, when he had no other hope when there was no way out for David. It was God who was there who delivered him and saved him and was faithful in David's life. And David could always count on God's faithfulness to him. So uh, David, David just gives God this praise, and, and it's just, you know, as, as he's saying this, you can almost hear the thankfulness in his voice. You know, God, there, when there's no other hope, you were there. When there's no other hope, I could depend on you. When there's no other hope, you were faithful in my life to be there and to rescue me and to deliver me and to save me from all that was going on in my life. And, and, and David can express that. And, um, you know, again, as he says, the Lord lives. And as he's telling people, look at the living God and what he can do. He can do this for you. God can be faithful in your life too. Just trust him and follow him. And I think David's trying to show the people, this is who God is. You can have this faithful God working in your life too. I've seen it. I've experienced it. It's true. It's real. Trust in this God. And he wants them to do that. So David here reflects on God's faithfulness, and he cannot help but to exclaim praise to God. God has been good to him, protecting him and giving him victory over his enemies, and is worthy of David's heartfelt praise. And it reminds me that as we reflect on what God's done in our lives, and I'm hoping that you can really go back and you can see, and, and I'm not saying that your life has been perfect or that you know, everything's been great in your life, but you can look back and you can really see God working in your life. Because I think if you're really honest with yourself and you're really looking, God has worked in your life. God has done good things in your life. 
And when you honestly look at it, you can say, you know what? God has been there. And God has, has walked with me. God has encouraged me. God has done things in my life that I need to give him praise for. And I need to say, God, you've been faithful in my life. And as we trust in him and as we seek him out and as we seek to live for him, I think we see God's faithfulness in our lives. And it should, uh, should help us to respond in praise, just like David did, that we can say, yes, I know the living God. I see the living God. And I want to give him praise. He is my rock. He, I want him to be exalted. I want him to be lifted up. I can say that he's the rock of my salvation. He's the bedrock of my salvation. I trust in him. And I see his faithfulness. That should be our response in our life, that we want to proclaim his praises to others. And we want, people to, say, and we want to say to people, look at my God. Look at how awesome he is. Look at how wonderful he is. He's the living God. Whatever you're following, it's nothing compared to who the living God is. Come check him out. Come see him. I serve the living God. I, I, I'm not ashamed of that. In fact, I, I want you to become a servant of the living God, too. He's awesome. He's wonderful. There's no other hope in the world but this God that I serve. I think that's what David's trying to get across here, that, that there's nothing else but the living God. Throw out the idols. Cast them away. Come to God. That's what David wants. So any thoughts or, or anything to add on this section? Yes, Gabriel. Um, so, one of the things that in small groups that came to me that do is um, kind of just start with Thanksgiving and, and adoration. Mm-hmm. And it's because of passages like this that, you know, of course it's important to proclaim to uh, unbelievers who don't know, but also to believers who do know what God is yeah. I think it's excellent. I th- and the adoration and pr- Thanksgiving go so hand in hand together that um, as you see God and you thank Him for what He's doing, you want to praise Him for who He is. And, and I, it goes so well together. So I think that's excellent that you guys are doing that. That's good. Okay. One more section, and we'll get out of here. We'll get out of here a little early. So, Joanna. So, David's closing praise, I call this. This is... My Roman numerals get tricky after this point. 14, there we go. Uh, David's closing praise. So he's kind of finishing off the chapter here. So David starts out with his intent to praise God. So David says, therefore, because of all this, because of everything I've talked about here, because of what you've done for me, God, because of who you are, because of how you've rescued me from all these dangers, because of how you've given me victory, everything that we talked about over the last four weeks. Because of this, therefore, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the Gentiles. So David will give thanks to God. Part of praise, not only to worship 
God, and that should be a capital G, sorry, for all for who he is, but to give him thanks for what he has done should be a regular part of our prayers. So we should be praising him, we should be giving thanks for him. Um, in First Thessalonians 5, it says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So, I don't know what the will of God is in your life as far as what you should have for lunch this afternoon or who you should spend time with, although if your father is still around, I think maybe you should spend a little time with him this afternoon, if you can. But I do know that you should be rejoicing, you should be praying without ceasing, and everything you should be giving thanks. So David's intent to praise God, to give him thanks, is, is according to the will of God here. And David says, I will give thanks to you, O Lord among the Gentiles. And when he will also do what? He will also sing praises. He's going to sing praises. So he's going to give thanks and he's going to praise God. And he's going to do it among the Gentiles. So here, it's not just, you know, I'm going to go into the temple and get, gather all the Jewish people and we're going to just do this together and huddle together and have a little worship time together. It's, he's going to proclaim this among the Gentiles. There's even a desire to make God known among the non-Jewish people. So he has a desire to let all people know. He wants to bring people into this group and let everyone know about who God is to show what God has done, to show them, hey, this is who God is. You need to become a part of this. It's not just uh, uh, let's come together and have a feel-good time among us Jews and just hold this within ourselves. It's to bring everybody in. He wants people to know. He wants people to know who God is and what God's done. And I think that's a good model for us as a church. That's not just about us gathering here on Sunday as a church and having a feel-good time as a church and saying, oh, we're the church, we're comfortable and good together. Let's reach out to people among us. Let's let people know who Jesus is and so that they can be a part of this, so that they can know Christ as their Savior and know how to worship and praise God. And then he's going to do it to sing praises to God's name. And praise is focused not on anything else except to God alone. So we're going to praise to focus on God alone. The content of his praise, he says, he is the tower of salvation. Tower, this is another idea of that strong place, a defensible place. God is the strong place of his salvation. Nothing's going to take away his salvation because God is the source of that salvation. And so he's, he's worshiping God because he has his salvation in God. God is, God is the source of that. It's a sure salvation. He doesn't have to worry about uh, somebody defeating God and taking that away from him. He also says that God shows mercy to his anointed. So God is also a God of mercy to him. He's given him so much that David does not deserve. And to his anointed there... I, I, um, his anointed, God's anointed, David is speaking of himself, he was anointed of God to be king, so he shows mercy to David. And then to David, um, David is the recipient of his anointed, so we have seen that David as the recipient of God's mercy on many occasions. Again, if I just need to give an example in case you're not sure of that, remember his sin with Bathsheba, according to the law, he should have been stoned for that. And he knew that, that God had given him mercy and not, not killing him. But also, he, he was able to retain his throne even after that. So 
he received great mercy on that, and there were many occasions where David received God's mercy. Um, his anointed here, to David and his anointed. His anointed is singular here. A lot of people think this is uh, referring to Messiah. So David recognizes again the promise of God's descendant of who will rule on his throne, rule on the throne of Israel forever. So um, there's mercy in that David is still going to be the descendant of the Messiah, and he recognizes that also. Um, and also to his descendants, um, David's descendants are going to receive mercy and then forever. And so God has given mercy abundantly on David and on his house and on his descendants forever. And David gives praise to God for that mercy. David's intent here is to continue to give praise to God and even to record his giving of praise as we have this chapter in Scripture. David recognizes once again God's mercy not only to him but to future generations and ultimately the mercy he will give to all mankind through the gift of the Messiah. We should remember who God is and what he has done, is doing and will do, and praise and give thanks to him. We should praise and thank him for his grace, his mercy, his love, his protection, his strength, his guidance, his righteousness, etc. in our lives. No matter what our circumstances are, knowing that God is faithful, that he is good, and will accomplish his will in our lives. We should seek to proclaim him among the Gentiles, among the unsaved, so that they can know him and glorify him also. And that's just kind of a general summary statement. But I I think um, if you're wondering how does David, a man after God's own heart, I think this chapter maybe opens your eyes to how David is a man after God's own heart. I think you see the heart of David in this chapter and how this is what a man after God's own heart looks like, a man who truly acknowledges who God is, how God has worked in his life, and seeks to praise and proclaim God among the people. That's, if you want to be a man after God's own heart, this is the model to follow here. Is this how you think of God in your life? Is this how you proclaim God in your life? Is this your desire in your life that you live like this? So this is a good, good model and a good way to think about that. So any thoughts or questions here before we wrap up this morning? Lots to take in. That's why we took four weeks on it. Maybe it's still like drinking out of a fire hose. Go ahead, Ed. hand of God is upon us. And uh, Pastor Dean talked a lot about the hand of God this morning in the message and how we need the hand of God working in our life and how do we do that. 
We talked about prayer this morning, being made sure that we're praying to God and asking for God's hand to be working in our life. And I think throughout here you saw also David talking about praying to God. And when he was in distress, he would cry out to God and he would call to God. And we see God's hand working through that. So I, I think it all kind of relates together, doesn't it? So, so it's, it's really good stuff that we got here. Even in our hearts. Yes. Yes, God does. Good. Any other thoughts? Yes, Brenna. And it's, it's sometimes it, it is kind of discouraging because uh, we 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 do. I get that thought sometimes too. Does, is the Lord hearing me when I pray? And um, I was just encouraged too. Like you said, you know, there was that four month time period from when Nehemiah prayed to when something happened. And sometimes I think, can I even go four months? Am I even that patient? And sometimes we we have to wait on the Lord and be patient and know that he is listening, but he's working in his time frame. And, um, but we need to trust in who God is and his faithfulness to us. And that was encouraging to me this morning to think about that. Because like, we look at chapter 1 chapter 2, and it's just the next chapter he worked. Well, that's right away. No, it's not necessarily right away. It, there's, there's a time frame in there, and Nehemiah had to wait on him. And we may have to do that too, but, but God doesn't stop listening to us. And David... David had to run from Saul and hide out in the wilderness and you know he was anointed when he was young and had to wait probably 18 to 20 years before God actually gave him the throne but God's plan was in work and in place and so but that doesn't mean God wasn't listening or God didn't care about David or wasn't working for his purpose and his glory so yep and and it just I, I think it strengthened David and, and taught him many things that he wouldn't have learned otherwise. So it's good. I'm glad it was encouraging. That's me. Yes. 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 And David even, you know, he still had faith and trust in that, that, you know, God gave him the promise and he believed it to be true. And, I, you know, David doesn't know when that's going to happen or how it's going to happen even. And I think of, you know, Abraham, he was promised a, a nation of descendants and he had no one when he was promised that. And, the Bible tells us he, he believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. And I'm pretty sure that Abraham had no idea how any of that was going to happen. Um, but it did. 
And we just need to trust God and believe his word. And even when we don't see how it's going to work out, good. Okay, let's go ahead and close in prayer. Matt, will you close us?